you're listening to Movies for Decades. Welcome to Movies for Decades. This is a movie podcast. We watch a century's worth of movies. Uh, we sample one movie from each decade, starting in 1922 this season, ending in 2022. I'm John Albee. I'm Colin Albee. I'm Helen Albee Cottingham. Um, what did we watch this week? We watched a film called Ikiru. Ikiru. That's where you put the emphasis? The emphasis? Now, Ikiru, Ikiru. So, the... This is a film made in the nation of Japan, and people speak Japanese. The title is Japanese, so we are going to say, I, I, in other words, sure, okay. is the answer to that question. I believe you call it Ikiru. Okay. Um, and it is, which is, which roughly translates as to live, which is apparently a phrase in Japanese, not just those two words, you mm. know translations are hard so um and this is of course a film by one of the greatest directors of all time akira kurosawa one of my guys Mm -hmm. um and um so we'll go with that what so you've not seen many kurosawa movies helen no i've only seen three i have seen seven samurai rashomon and Yojimbo, mm-hmm. and they're all set in feudal Japan. So it was really cool to see this one set in quote unquote modern Japan, like 1950s Japan. Yes, and it, I felt like it had a really different energy from those other three that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Maybe because of the setting, or maybe because of the somber philosophicalness of this movie. This felt like a very different Kurosawa movie. It to was me, a though. melodrama. That's yeah. how I would classify it. Yeah, I mean, Kurosawa, like, because his most popular movies are, like, samurai movies, you know, yeah. basically, like, arty action-adventure movies. Westerns. Yeah, yeah. westerns, really, and, and that's not even that, uh, that's accurate to say, because Kurosawa was a noted fan of westerns, mm-hmm. and, um, so, like, there's a little bit of a rip-roar and swashbuckling that nature that his, uh, that's kind of his reputation because those are his most yeah, popular movies. Yeah, and that's movies. what I associate with Kurosawa is the swashbuckling. And this, there were no buckles swashed at all in this movie. <laughs> no, although there's plenty of bravura cinematography. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I would say, like, this is an example of how he's a much more eclectic filmmaker than that. Mm-hmm. Although, I guess, come to think of it, I was going through my head, I think I managed to see nine Kurosawa movies. And... Um, I really think there's only two that aren't some variety of swashbuckler. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, so so he does this, make a lot of them, you know. There's this one and there's another one that's... There's a movie called The Bad Sleep Well. Okay. Which I'm, is, is a, both an awesome and a weird title that I'm sure sounds better in Japanese. The Bad Sleep Well. Yeah. Um, if you're bad, you, you sleep well at night. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but that's, of course, the Hamlet adaptation. So it's right. mildly, but it's not really. It's, it's also very talky kind of like the second half of this movie which we maybe will get into Whew. yeah yeah um, well so let's talk about we're 1952 right sure yeah uh, what what is 1952 japan like because we did 1961 mm-hmm. japan last year and i was i couldn't help but compare this to pigs sure. and battleships the whole time yeah. i was like okay this is before then 
things seem less modern, more traditional, things seem dirtier and less organized. And, and this movie, unlike Pigs and Battleships, this movie is really not, well, I was about to say it's not political at all, except it kind of it's is. It's super political. It's, it's very internal. It's not geopolitical. Yeah. Because basically, the, Amer- the presence of the United States in this movie is basically non-existent. Now, there might be a reason for that, which is that I need to, I should have maybe looked up the timeline, but I believe 1952, I believe, is the year the, the U.S. occupation of Japan ended. Hmm. And, um, and if it's not 1952, it's right around there. And, of course, during, um, <clears throat> during the occupation, you couldn't really, movies couldn't do anything explicitly anti-American. Um, and, of course, which is, of course, 1961's Pigs and Battleships rebels in that fact. Yeah, super anti-American. And like, yeah. dunking on America. But uh, this movie, I don't know. I don't. Re- either way, this movie's just not about geopolitics. It's about maybe internal way government works. It's very much yeah, about Yeah, it's about that. local politics. Now, so here's my dumb joke about this movie that you made for me because it's so obvious because mm-hmm. it's so low-hanging that like I was ready I was ready to make this joke 10 years ago back when Parks and Rec was going strong, which is this is Leslie Nope's favorite movie. Yeah. Is it yeah. not? Yes. Absolutely, yeah. yes. It's it's Leslie Nope's favorite movie. And, to, and like, I... I've... This is season one of Parks and Rec. All great works of art are actually inspired by Kurosawa. Star sure. Wars is... Um, Star Wars and Parks and, and, and Rec. Parks and Recreation, the two greatest works of film. Of course, yes. <laughs> Undisputed done, fact. If they had done a deep cut joke, like, because I saw this movie for the first time... When there was still two or three seasons left of Parks and Rec, mm. when you know this is back in my college years where I was in control of the Netflix queue, and yeah. I think I, I think this, I was still getting DVDs off out of the, out of the, out of the mail. mailbox, yeah. And uh, I think this is one of the ones I got, but um, I was like so like, come on, Parks and Rec writers, one of y'all's a Kurosawa nerd, <laughs> make an extreme deep cut throwaway joke about how the Ikiru is Leslie's favorite movie. So yeah. wait, like ex- Ben, wa- explain why. Oh yeah, why. for those who haven't seen Parks and Rec, is it's the uh, sitcom starring. Um, um, wait, what's her name? Amy Poehler. Amy, Amy Poehler. Poehler. Where the first season is, there's a and she's she's in charge of the Parks Department ish, and she's a happy-go-lucky government official fighting. Through bureaucracy, yeah, to get a park built in a place that is a dangerous hazard. Yeah, it's a dangerous pit hazard, and she gets a park built there, and that's the first season in the heart of the show. And then, like, so of course she would love this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then that's what this movie is: is a man finds out he's dying of cancer, and then gets a park built in a sewage dump or something. After getting trashed and being creepy to a girl, Uh this is the logical progression of things, I guess. You decide maybe to be a good person. He wasn't really creepy to her. Like he was never like sexually aggressive. He was just like crossing boundaries in a more emotional way. He I needed they, to read her face a little yeah, bit better. Yeah, he was not reading any of the signals. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think they portrayed that whole scene, that whole thing, pretty well. Like the reason she keeps going out with him is that he knows that he's not trying to like take yeah. advantage of her yeah he's she keeps caving because she's like this guy is a weird old sweetheart but and I, he's he, like, is cre- he is creepy and weird free dinners i guess so i guess we'll go through the basics of this movie's plot um so this movie like a lot of kurosawa movies um is pretty narratively playful shall we say yeah episodic uh... yeah i mean this is also just our american brains sometimes have trouble with you know the fact that 
you know, other cultures mess with their narrative structure more than but Kurosawa I think is especially prone to being a little funky here and there when yeah, he feels it felt when he feels like a like bunch it. of short films mashed together. Yeah. Um so the, you know we have like the close up of the X ray and it's just a disembodied voice describing our like this is our protagonist's stomach. He has cancer he doesn't know yet. You know, like that's how the movie starts. How do y'all feel about voiceover? Does it annoy you? Do you like it? Is it a weak thing to do in a movie is it a good thing to do in a movie i think it usually annoys me but i wasn't super duper annoyed by it in this movie because they're pretty sparing um but sometimes i'm just kind of like i think watching adaptation has made me like question all voiceover that i hear because yeah. <laughs> like sometimes it's done for an artistic purpose and i actually like it and sometimes i feel like they just decided not to write good dialogue that would explain what was going on. Yeah, so, uh, they... so they just have a voiceover like, "It's me, Harrison Ford, and Blade Runner." Yeah, <laughs> I have weird feelings. Yeah, and it's like I don't understand. And why it's this weird is though because like there's a lot of voiceover in Iron Man three, and that's kind of my favorite Marvel movie because it's so internal to what to Tony Stark's actual feelings, and you so rarely get a superhero's internal dialogue. But uh, so I don't know. I feel like if it's in a context that's kind of surprising like a marvel movie i don't know um i don't think there's any meaningful reason to compare different no. voiceovers no. in movies okay i think if you're if you're talking about a specific genre like this is an indie movie where i am a young guy having emotions then like you know if, if we're if we're evaluating different movies that are in that vein mm. then and for the most part Get the fuck out of here with your voiceover. You're not helping. Yeah. But, like, this is a movie, of course, where, like, the only narration is just pretty much only at the beginning. And it's it's a very kind of wry commentary from this disembodied disembodied yeah. voice. We don't know. Because it's not a character who, who has Whoever this. shows up, yeah. It's, it's kind of a wry, like, so this is our protagonist. We have to, we have to deal with who he is now. Because who he is now is, look at him really boring and sad yeah and we really should skip this but i gotta show you a little more of how boring and sad this guy's boring and sad life is you know yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah. kind of like it's a very wry kind of intentionally funny um narration and um i actually love the scene and it's a really good example of uh how so i think kurosawa uses the camera in a really dynamic way right with 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 how he moves the camera around and follows the action but he is also like he can even be dynamic when he's not moving the camera at all with framing. And one of my favorite examples of that is the is when he's in the doctor's office, and you know he like he's sitting across from that guy who starts going like, "Yeah, I knew a guy who the doctor told him he had a mild ulcer." But then he describes the whole in horror. Wretched sim- detail, in wretched all detail. the symptoms of stomach cancer. First yeah. this, first the heavy pain, then and the And then black. the Watanabe like guy and like the guy keeps moving closer to him and he keeps shuffling backwards. Yeah. And like basically he kinda like triangulates the frame. Where he kinda like keeps shuffling backwards, like it further away into frame. And then, like, in the end, he's kind of, like, he finishes the frame kind of, like, with his back to the guy talking to him, but his face to us. Yeah, yeah. so it's, like, instead of the camera moving around, it's the blocking that told that story. Like, like, um... Yeah, and he's... Everybody remained perfectly in focus, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a lot of moving around in the depth there, so it's, uh... Yeah, and the depth of the frame, not not just, like, the lens, but yes. I mean, Kurosawa was a master of, like, dynamic subtly dynamic blocking and sometimes mm-hmm. the camera's doing fun stuff which the camera does a lot of fun stuff in this movie i think 
Yeah, and, uh, they got that shot with the traffic. Yeah, the shot with the traffic. Well, there's a couple, like, one just throwaway Bravura shot. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Like, unpack that shot for a second. But, um, but, like, the other one, of course, is that, like, where it's it's after he's found out he does have stomach cancer. And the doc, and which is a weird thing. He, this is part of the theme of this movie is that the doctor basically lies to him. Mm-hmm. Which we were unpacking how much of that is is culturally normal, and but you know yeah. in, in in Asian countries and and how much of that is of course played up for the drama of this movie, a little bit of both. Yeah, um, sure. There's also that Bravura shot where he's he's after he's found out and he's shuffling and of course Takeshi Shimura, I'm pretty sure I'm close enough to pronouncing Mr. Watanabe is the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he, of course this. Hunched so, over most so of hunched. the mo- yeah, and they, it's like silent. He's in the he's just sort of walking and it's silent and there's no sound. And then like, and then he kind of starts to step out in the street and a car whooshes by and the camera straight up zooms. Mm-hmm. It's not like a it's not I don't think it's a tracking shot. It's a straight up zoom just whoosh, while the sound returns. Yeah, yeah. and and then and, we're we see this rush of traffic. Uh-huh. I just figured, like, I guess that's just life going on. Like, here he is, gonna die. So deep in his own head that he doesn't even hear anything, and then suddenly something startles him, and he's back in the yeah. moment again. And boy, do we all have those moments where we're just, like, in another space in our head, and then something brings us back. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to be dying to f- relate to that feeling. So if you like all kind of fun but subtle camera work that you know Kurosawa was one of your guys should be one of your guys and like this movie even though it's not a swashbuckler does a lot of fun stuff with the camera yeah, what was that word you were using a bunch bravura is that yeah. like bravado what yeah it's kind of like it's a it's a it's a word i'm pretty sure okay <laughs> b-r-a-v-u-r-a it's like bravado but you had but it's it's a brav- it's, it's like visual you can't, you can't call it a bravado shot i mean you can i guess but i think it's more Grammatically correct to say Bravura shot. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. I might be wrong. Welcome to Movies for Decades, the show where we're like 30% certain we're using words correctly. Yeah. <laughs> 31%. 31. <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> so, I don't know. What else, where, where do y'all want to go Like, do, in terms of the plot? We have uh, a fairly rational... Uh, you know, you can't, you can't really fault him for having a binge drinking night yeah, yeah. He's party super, night super sad that he has cancer and the only reason he knows he has cancer is because of that guy in the waiting room that creeped him right the hell out mm-hmm. um which i think is more dramatically interesting than i maybe might have thought because it seems like he's like i heard a guy and he's just being spooky but like when he when the guy's saying i heard a guy who was told this about his symptoms and they're horrible like that guy's like not saying i heard a, he's talking about himself yeah mm-hmm. he's probably like Hey, buddy, I Heads have up. cancer. Here's and they're the lowdown, you know. And it is interesting how to how, say stuff without saying stuff. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of saying stuff without saying stuff, except for the very end of this movie, which we'll get to, because that's when everybody starts saying everything directly. And it's almost tedious, but it's also wonderful. So, should we go ahead and unpack uh, the ending half of this movie? Well, I really liked The Night of Drinking. Yeah, let's go into... Okay, we'll go into... But The Night of Drinking is really wonderful. Well, yeah. Yeah, oh. he's, he kind of meets two characters along the way. It's almost like collecting the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion. <laughs> well, like, but they're not like there's all like, a party. It's yeah. kind of like there's an A section of, of him like... There's like the, the nighttime A section of him going like, oh my god, I'm dealing with the fact that I'm gonna die. And then there's the B section of, in the daytime... 
And he has two very different companions for both for of those. For night and day, yeah. So the first companion he meets is a sullen art dude yeah. with a scarf and a hat. And, yeah, uh, you could find him at a bar downtown today. today. In any it's downtown funny. in any city. Yeah. This guy is the classic hipster bar fly that fancies himself an artist, but really mostly just gets drunk. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's also like, you know, I think we're also getting into this with some of our like, like, is this Japanese culture? Is this this movie? Is this the past? Like, I think, you know, these movies and, and watching these movies like this do this to us. And, like, of course, but in a lot of ways, it's simpler than you think. An example is us, before he, we, he even talks much, we're like, look at this guy. He's a hipster with his scarf. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And sure enough, he's like, your story has touched me. me. I'm a writer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, we were supposed to think this guy was... Like, yeah, he, yeah, they were, they were to... sending this guy as pretentious signals to us, and we, as Western watchers, picked up on it immediately. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I guess people really don't change, even in the 50s, like, mm-hmm. to now, that's the vibe of a person who's, like, kind of in his 20s and kind of um, aimless and... Ready to party. Ready to... And down DTF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. And he's just like, you got cancer and you want to drink he's and like you want to party he's like bruh have you heard of gambling <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so and actually it's really kind of in a way it's debauchery but it is kind of sweet because this guy is not trying to like he's not trying to hustle him at all no he's going around he is just touched by his story yeah. yeah he's touched by his story and you know it's a good excuse to party and so they go from bar to bar it's like the, the implication is it's, like, after night. It's, like, 9 o'clock at night when they start their night. And, like, we, they go to, like, four different places. Yeah, they are and, out all night till dawn. Yeah. And then there's the, uh... Okay. Yeah. There's that one scene where they're watching the erotic dancer. And the, and the, the uh, hipster guy is like, Look at the female form. It's so f- wonderful. It's like a shot of testosterone. It's like a this. It's like uranium. It's like da-da-da-da. You know? And then uh, Mr. Watanabe goes... <laughs> he just, he they like, said the same thing. He scream grunts. Yeah, yeah. He goes, <laughs> and like they're both just like <laughs> horny dudes. They're both just lecherous <laughs> in their own way. It was great. Yeah. The other thing is also there's a there's a, a bravuro bravado shot in 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 that comedy in that theme of that because that that starts with that wide shot of like of her starting the. Tr- striptease in this in this club right Mm -hmm. and the camera tracks past her and then into the crowd Mm -hmm. and then finds that that close-up two shot where we have that wonderful like i think that's a wonder that (laughs) like delightful joke sequence is 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 a is a cool shot yeah yeah and so anyway yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so hipster boy, and I would. And just, I'm hipster for like wanting yeah. to dissect Kurosawa shots. You know? No, no, no. Hipster oh, yeah. boy and Watanabe. I'm not talking about you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm yeah, they have. Yeah. The, I was loving every minute of this section of the movie. It was just so fun. Like how the contrast between the two. They're kind of like both sad for different reasons, and they're kind of both high on life for different reasons. They're both kind of creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They both kind of sit there and like sulk they're like really kindred spirits there they yeah. really vibe together dude this mr Wa- watanabe just sulks 
Yeah, this he's whole a downer. Movie. He's a downer, movie. and you know he's creeping everyone out in the clubs. He's he's asking for a depressing song after a really jaunty, happy song, and is then he played sings the it really sadly, and everyone's staring at him. And of course, <laughs> and of course, the writer is such a mensch that he's just like after the he's like after he's done, you know, being a huge downer, and he's crying and singing this old so- slow song. The guy goes, "Bruh." Good stuff. Next bar. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He was basically singing as time goes by. Um, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And maybe that song has the same kind of significance in Japan. I don't yeah. know. Well, like actually... they said, like, what, that old song from the 19-teens? Yeah. yeah. And, like, um, and so, sure. Um, and then, so, then we move on. Actually, one little tidbit I read in that little booklet that the Criterion, my Criterion copy has, is that, like, apparently Kurosawa said, like, oh, and I want this song to be a f- figure prominently in it. Because basically how, what Kurosawa did is he's like, all right, my next movie, I've decided it will be about a guy who has six months to live, and he gets his two writing partners. He's like, he basically is like, writing partners, go to work. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I want this song to figure prominently. And they were like, what so song it was is a that? scramble movie. And they're like, they're like, what song is this? And they're like, this one. He's like, we've literally never heard of it, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. So basically, that's I think that's kind of how Kurosawa worked. He's like, this is what my next movie is going to be about. And like his producers would go like, yep, we're greenlighting your next thing, Kurosawa. You make money for us. And uh, and so then I think people would write the screenplay, and then he'd go, no, this, 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 and mm. then like we're good to go. Mm. That's kind of the very basics of how Kurosawa tended to work. Hmm, okay. You know, um, it kind of felt like the plot line was like aging, you know, like you go huh. from adolescence to some more maturity and that really transitions from his night of debauchery with mm. this dude who's kind of an idiot, but he's also kind of a good, he's good to drink with. He's a good vibe. And he moves to a much more mature realm with, uh, uh, his coworker, his young, uh, his, his young, young woman, f- woman coworker, coworker. but and she's responsible enough where she wants to have a good job, and she's trying to save her money. And she's... before we move on, we should we should mention one of the most important aspects of this movie, which is the hat. The hat. The hat. Yeah, he he <laughs> loses his hat while he's partying, and he's really bummed out about it, and he winds up just th- through the jostle of partying with a new well, sort of like, fancier. Well, the guy's like, "I'll get you a new hat with your new money." Yeah, yeah. And, and he gets himself, I guess, a stylish hat. We're led to believe it's sort of a fedora, but sort of a Panama hat. It's like a white fedora. It's a little bit pimp hattish. Yeah, and I yeah. think we're allowed. We're supposed to pick up on it. Yeah, and they call it like, a rakish hat at one point. Yeah, yeah. They're like, look at this guy. I mean, I guess it was just a, an odd style choice for him. Yeah, because he's got that very like just classic very you know that business hat fedora yeah yeah nondescript and like you were saying while we watched the movie uh i guess nothing about him has changed in like 30 years so the fact that he has a new hat yeah it was startling to everyone and didn't show up to work for a week and man did they you know beat that horse in this movie they never stopped talking about the hat from when he got it till the end of the film like like, (laughs) you guys this freaking hat yeah (laughs) so yeah and and like so two he, hours later, he runs into his coworker. <laughs> he runs into his coworker. She's trying to quit his job. He needs not she, two hours in the movie, but two hours in his life. Yeah, yeah like two I hours. Think, I don't know if he slept 
during his night of partying and he's it's daytime and it's pretty believable that it's been an hour or two and then, yeah like you do as you age you grow up and you start having a more wholesome time with a better person yeah and uh yeah and you start doing things during the day and you start doing things during the day and uh <laughs> And so I really liked this part of the movie when he his uh, coworker needs. Uh, to she's resi- trying to quit, which he's which is thematically useful because she's like, I hate it. I've been there a year and a half, which contrasts to his thirty me. years chained to that desk. That yeah, he's I'm I'm sick of it. I want out. Yeah. And 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 so he's like, ooh, sure, you know. Yeah. Initiative and desire and drive and life. What yeah. is this? She's very bubbly, and I guess he like. As it turns out, kind of creepily leeches onto her energy. Yeah, and he wants to. Yeah, he wants but to in learn a non, her like, ways. Sexually creepy. Yeah, way. it's not sexual. It's just except maybe a little bit inherently. And the plus, the, his uh, his family thinks that's what's going. Yeah, on. Yeah, his family thinks he's having an affair but with we're her. Led, but us, the audience, is led to believe that no, it's fairly innocent, just a little weird. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. And um. Yeah. And sad because he's a sad. Dude. Yeah, he's um, a sad, hunched, scowl, like grimacing old man. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, this section of the movie's fun because he's like, okay, so I got your resignation letters. Cool. Like, what's the hurry? You want to keep hanging out? Like, I'm, I'm kind of like still vibing on life a little bit. Yeah. And so they go ice skating and, and and other stuff, and they what they go gambling also a little. They bit. go play. Yeah, the they do a little like gambling. Like, super, I learned how to do this twelve hours. Ago. Super <laughs> cool Japanese slot machines that are like pinball that you can't control. Yeah, where they watch a ball bounce down past these pins and nails, and it lands and somewhere, and you get quarters or whatever. It's and wonderful cool. tight shots on on just how cool it looks. Yeah, um, they're pretty. They're actually entertaining to watch, unlike American slot machines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that section of the movie. And then we kind of like, yeah, then he's kind of accused by where he's like, he maybe tries to tell his son that like, yeah, so I, I'm going to die. But then he's like, I have something to tell you. Like, yeah, we know you're you're with some young floozy. You We've know? seen the hat. You're We're, dating somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and they have seen her. They've seen, you know, they. Im- and he's so heartbroken that she that they assume that about him that he doesn't even correct them. He just staggers out of the house and continues to see this girl all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of led to believe she has her new job at the factory, and she's like, "Ugh, again!" When he comes by her work, like so they've, they've obviously kind been of doing been, this for a while. They're more or less dating because he takes yeah. her out more most every night, and I guess it's partly he's like, "Well, they are." My my everyone thinks that I'm a dirtbag dating a young woman, so, so I'm just gonna well lean just, into it. Yeah. And I guess and of course she even says, like, look, I get that you're paying for everything, so like I hate to complain, but like I I wanna go home and go to bed and yeah. like and also this is not a romantic thing. You're just a weirdo and I feel sorry for you. Yeah, I'm just doing this because I and, feel sorry for you and you're paying for everything, but please stop. I don't wanna do this anymore. Yeah, there's and, a, a big theme of the power of pity yeah. in this yeah. movie it's all about like he gets a lot of things in this movie even later on just because people kind of pity him and there's yeah. a kind of uh he uses it like yeah. yeah kind of the rolling and showing your belly thing yeah you know? yeah you're just like hey i'm really sad I, please help me yeah. i've got nothing to lose and people are like all right fine <laughs> and then she's like all right fine i'll go out with you one more time 
And that's when he starts being like, I just like the life. I like your liveliness. Ha- teach me your ways. And she's like desperately afraid of him. Yeah, because he gets in the booth with her and then she's cornered. And then it's and it is almost like he's scary. Mm-hmm. It is almost like he's he's close to saying, like, look, if we just get laid once, it'll be great. Yeah, it almost seems like he's leaning that direction. And she but... seems like she thinks that's where he's coming from. And it scares her. But uh, then, very openly. But then she's he's like he, he does get the kind of light bulb of like, oh. Like, she's like, I actually don't hate my job because I get to make little robot bunny rabbits, which is... And we're back. Uh, it's a podcast where we sometimes have a cat with us and sometimes our card gets full. <laughs> uh, but I feel like now is a good time to bring up another theme of the movie. And we skipped this at the beginning uh, with the bureaucracy and the local government shenanigans. This, this movie is... An important facet of what this movie is is it's a pretty brutal satire of local government yeah it is a it is an absolutely pretty merciless send-up because i mean they have him as the protagonist for you know they they have him as the sad protagonist of this fairly useless bureaucrat and and pulls no punches this is why this guy's so sad because he's a useless bureaucrat and, mm-hmm. and of course the redemption is that he becomes less useless but the movie you know, kind of starts off with that wonderful montage of different government officials going like, oh, you need to go to this department. Go to Public Works. Go to Sanitation. Da, 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 da. And it's just a series of close-ups of people's condescending faces. Yeah. Um, and I think what I was saying is what I most enjoyed is the only guy who seems like has a nice posture and is trying to be helpful is the fire department because they go like, oh, yeah, it needs to go to the fire department. And the fire department goes like, oh, that's not us at all. But, uh, and it's like it would we be don't. Great if there was a park there. Yeah, and they're but like, that's not us. You yeah, know? but they said that the fire department protested filling in the mud hole because they needed the water to put out fires. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "No way, we didn't say that. Could you imagine us cleaning sewage out of our hoses? We would never use that water. Fill it in and make it a clean pond. Make it a you know a fountain. That we would love that just as much as you would. Ooh, yes, indeed. But yeah, they, we they... haven't described that opening scene. Uh, where he's, we're getting the runaround. Yeah, this yeah. Is, we're kind of describing the runaround. Yeah, yeah where yeah. the women come to the desk. We're just amused and... by the firefighters, the only one who really seems helpful. But like, and the, and the, and, the, and they get slicker. Finally, they get higher up the chain with even slicker talkers. Of po- once you get to actual politicians who are like, oh yeah, great idea. Well, I'll take it up with someone. And then mm-hmm. finally, it, it literally circles all the way back to Mr. Watanabe's public works. Uh, public affairs public affairs office it yeah. finally circles back and that's when the that's when the woman or the women have just a final big rant of like you've literally taken us in a giant circle yeah our you children know? are getting rashes from that mud hole come yeah. on and, and the mosquitoes and it's like Ew. so yeah so yeah. that's kind of what this so basically this is what he decides to do with himself after the creepy after the awkward final date with with the lady is that he's like oh i can actually do something with myself i can go back to work and there's that wonderful there's that scene where they're like they've accepted that he's just not coming back to work and then suddenly they see that that (laughs) and uh hi katie and um and so the (laughs) <laughs> we're so distracted by the adorable kitty yeah yeah <laughs> anyway yeah so they um <laughs> i bet the 
Mike's can't even hear the TV. Very yeah, they can hear it. I, I'm hearing the cat through the mics. <laughs> Katie, you didn't even watch the movie. I know for a fact. I don't no. know what your take is, but it's whatever. Um, yeah, so, so. Uh, at the end of this conversation he has with uh, his young co-worker... Uh, he decides he, he's going to do something with his office, to, to and he picks this park to from make, the beginning yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And, yeah. and then this movie does a fairly radical narrative makes a fairly radical narrative choice which we can now discuss it changes into a completely different movie it, yeah they basically just say and then he died yeah, yeah. and then the rush whole out the door we can do if we set our mind to and the movie you know the, he leaves the door and they kind of hold on that door for a minute and then it like cuts i think the narrative comes back five months later he's dead and it's it's his and we cut to his wake Mm-hmm. Yeah. and um and, and that's the rest wake, of the movie his wake is like a full half of the movie it yeah. feels like yeah oh my goodness and i didn't enjoy this part of the movie nearly as much as the beginning so i will say like i mean i'm with y'all basically in that like i think this is a really interesting and a really smart narrative choice in a lot of ways but there's just no denying that the movie slows to a crawl yeah this section yeah. of the movie which is you know yeah they really over explain everything and mm-hmm. i think the re- the before the movie was kind of under explained mm-hmm. while uh mr Wat- watanabe is still alive uh and then they just go into like excruciating detail about like what was his deal how did we build the park Mm-hmm. Do you remember this one time? It's like a big clip montage from a sitcom. Yeah. It, is, it is. So many flashbacks, exhausting, copious flashbacks. It's like, I, you know, I'm basically like, I think there's just no denying that it slows to a halt. But I guess I'll defend it because I think it's really smart and it solidifies the themes of the movie in that, like, because, you know, your more Hollywood way to do this is for him to complete his hero's journey. And that mm-hmm. lovely final scene of him on the swing is just the final crescendo of this Frank Capra movie. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot yeah. of Frank Capra-ishness about this it movie. It surely is, yeah. But instead, yeah. like, this movie, I think, kind of portrays it a little bit more realistically in that, like, he's on his own little hero's journey alone. And we have to, you know, we get the buildup of all that. But then after he's dead, it's a little mysterious. And people have to kind of unpack it. Yeah. As the kitty cousin wire the, Yeah, she's just rubbing her face on the XLR and everything. <laughs> this is what happens. When I don't hear her. I don't hear it interfering with the sound at all. But she's rubbing her face on the mic stand. So we're in a new recording place where there is a cat. There's a cat here, and we do love the cat. You know, he's like he's like, yo, I think this movie sucked. <laughs> but um, it's like, I I do think it was a cool choice for a movie to do that. Like, let's piece this guy's life together. I think it's an interesting choice. I haven't seen another movie like it. That said, I was getting a little impatient with it. I was like, come on. Because, I mean, there's just no denying that it's really slow. Yeah. I mean, there's some wonderful moments. And I, I think it's, in some ways, it's paced well in that, like, I, well, it's written well in that I like how it, they really take a long, because it's a fairly realistic, as I understand, portrayal of Awake in Japan where people, like, kind of drink and slowly get, get drunker and slowly drunker, get really and drunker and sadder and sadder and, and start being more articulate after being very tight-lipped and so like i think that's all very well done but there's and and i think it's 
you know, and again, it's like you get the main moments, and I, I think it's interesting also how like there's also like not any music. Like this movie has lots of dramatic musical cues before during the first half of the movie, but then during this whole wake scene, there's not any music until that final like swing scene. Yeah, I wonder if that I think that was makes a it feel more tedious though. Yeah, and but it's more and and again, this is also like I kind of wonder because Kurosawa does less of this later, hmm. um, but. I think he's still because this is two years. This is this, this is two years after he made Rashomon, mm. which is which is of course the the classic movie of different perspectives and different sort of you know the narrative is 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 a little weird mm-hmm. where it's like different people tell different sides of the same story, different and, and memories, different, and, yeah. And yeah. like I think he's still a little bit in love with that style. Yeah. I think that's maybe part of my defense of it. You know, obviously, Kurosawa was my guy. He's a master. But I think I think this section of the movie could have been... Who, who am I to Less say Less long close-ups of his photograph. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, that it's was kind of like, again? <laughs> I thought they were ending the first time they did that. It was like the Lord of the Rings ending with that. I know. Like, which okay, in some are ways, we done? Or? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess part of my, like, take on it is, like, listen, people, have patience with movies. You know, they shall reward you. And this movie does reward you with some wonderful stuff in the second half it's of the movie. It's sweet. It is It is sweet. It's nice. And it's not... It's pretty heavy-handed, but I wasn't rolling my eyes necessarily. You know, a movie it did remind me of was Shin Godzilla. Okay. Well, yeah. They, they cut to the boardroom over and over with how to deal with Godzilla, and I found that extremely charming about that movie. Yeah. Basically, anytime. <laughs> Japanese I think we just learned something about how government in Japan works. Yeah. Where like any t- cuz anytime I've seen a movie satirizing or making fun of the Japanese government it looks it, it is ridiculous of like oh talk to this department talk to this department oh we're department you know and it's yeah. all about like them protecting their position men in a- suits having their turf and their responsibilities and their mm-hmm. advancement and their careers and that was very much a theme in Shin Godzilla which i loved yeah um, and um yeah i mean these are two reference points they're very different but i mean <laughs> yes those both those movies are like they're really the only two japanese movies that are just out to make fun of how Japanese government works. Yeah, and yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and of course, all the people at the wake are getting most dramatic. They're in denial about like Mr. Watanabe made this park happen, but then they get drunker and drunker and go like, "We're useless." See, I think partly why this movie isn't overly heavy-handed is that it's still fairly bleak. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's moving because this one guy changed his life and did a did a wonderful thing. And built something bigger than himself. Yeah, it's a it's a moving story, but it's still fairly bleak because in the end, after these guys drunkenly say we're gonna do be like Watanabe, we're gonna do better, and then like the next day they like are still doing the runaround. Yeah, they get yeah. someone they, comes they, and complains, and they just send them. Oh yeah, that's that's Parks Department. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and it's just it just continues, and so it's 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 in that heartbreaking fairly... shot of the guy that starts to stand up and be like, "Hey, we should help that person," and then he just sits back down behind his massive pile of papers, and you can't see him because the pile of papers but are so tall. Yeah. Then he yeah. goes to the park where that Watanabe built. And it's full of kids having a great time. And yeah. he just sits and looks at it. And I wonder if we're supposed to get from that that he's changing his mind there even, or at least he's remorseful. Yeah. It's a happy yeah. ending. It, the movie ends on a happy note. 
Yeah. You know? A kind of vague happy note. A vague happy note. Yeah. But it's definitely like this movie, the reason it's not overly heavy handed is it is kind of like the the inc- the incisiveness, the, the the sort of almost aggressiveness that this movie uh, with which this movie attacks, you know, Japanese government, you know, remains. Yeah, and yeah, it does not redeem that. That whole section of the movie, the very long funeral with all the conversations about everyone arguing about how involved Watanabe was with the park and everyone having their own memory of a thing he did. That was so tedious. I was having sort of a feeling of, is it me in my modern eyes and my American eyes that finds this so tedious? Or is this like hilarious and cutting to Japanese people, especially of the 50s? Was this like brutal and hilariously satirical and like really emotional and powerful? And I'm just over here like in 2022 being like, this is getting boring. I think... Partly, yes. I have a feeling also, this is something I think about sometimes with foreign films, is that like, um, like, you know, the Coen brothers, Mm -hmm. a huge reason why those movies are so much fun is because they have, they talk funny. Mm -hmm. They, 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 they're, they're a huge part of the Coen brothers comedy is how not only their accents and their phrasings, but like specific, their inflections on words Mm -hmm. is a huge part of that comedy. And I'm like, man, even I'm like, and you know what? People who don't speak English who watch these movies subtitled are missing a huge chunk of what those, and that's true of a lot of comedies, not especially the Coen brothers. So like, I always feel that way with foreign films that are supposed to be funny is that like, man, we're missing so much of like, the inflections is in like so much of the inflections is what makes things funny you know yeah, yeah. And we're just missing yeah. it it's just too bad but i think like um like i had that thought because there's one guy who has a line back before everyone's drunk when they're kind of pompously talking there's one guy who i recognized he's in he's uh from the first godzilla movie mm. um and he's he's kind of a guy who talks like this and he's just kind of an official guy who says a few words in the first godzilla movie but he always has that very kind of memorable speaking voice mm-hmm. and they put him in this scene of the movie and i'm like i'm like kurosawa put that guy with that very specific voice and he's saying very pompous things for a reason yeah like i'm supposed to i'm missing it a little bit but like because i recognize this guy's voice and of course this is a toho movie kurosawa worked for toho so there's a and decent God- amount of we're all godzilla movies toho yes okay so there's a decent amount of random character actor crossovers mm-hmm. if and um and so this is an example of a guy like, yeah, Kurosawa cast this guy in particular because he got a funny voice. Yeah. You yeah. And that, but that's really the only thing I picked up on. Yeah. I feel like yeah. a consistent theme with this podcast is what are we missing? Yeah. yeah. I and really I, feel like I was missing so much subtext in that whole I, section of the movie. Yeah. I feel like there's sometimes with these older movies, and I guess we don't have answers, but it's interesting to ask the question when you watch any old movie or any foreign film is like, what tiny little things makes it, it would be completely lost on both modern viewers and foreign viewers. And I do think as one thing the little booklet helped me with, and also I sort of know this from other things I've read, but like uh, Japanese, this is a reasonably realistic portrayal of a wake in Japan. Yeah. Sure. Where, again, like where people kind of sit around and, and like there's a, there's a lot of like hierarchy and posturing and also, also people get drunk. Mm-hmm. Something I thought was interesting is... Uh, most of the people talking at this wake were co-workers and his family kind of keeps quiet. And uh, 
this movie in general kind of ignores the family in a way I think an American movie would not. Like, I think an American movie would be like, the child is everything. His spawn. That mm-hmm. has to be the focus. He's proud of his son. And we're a little bit... And this movie kind of, for a time, is like, nah, fuck his son. Like, yeah. <laughs> like whatever. You know, just he's... Uh, he loved his son, and they have a weird relationship, but that's not the center. It's not the center of yeah. it. And uh, he does right by his son in the end, but, like, really the focus is, like, how did he behave at... What did he do? What did he leave behind apart from his son? Because so many Western movies are like, and he left... A spawn. <laughs> Don't worry, he died, but he had a son. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's like, no, no, it's his... his what was leg- his job? His legacy is this park now, you know, and I guess that's what we're seeing from the that final shot uh, is is his legacy. And uh, and it's interesting to me that it was not his son. But it was son. kind of the journey of the character, too, was he thought his son was his legacy for most of the movie. But he and can he have a really, big... Really yeah. sad about it that he wasn't close with his son and that his son didn't seem to um, care about all the work and sacrifice he'd done to raise him by himself because he was a widow also. That's a part of this movie. Yeah. Mr. Watanabe was a widow that raised his son by himself. Widower. Right? Widower. widower. Excuse me. Excuse me. Widower. Um, and <laughs> yeah, he was widowed. And so there was that where he was struggling and struggling and struggling with this I want to be closer to my son but I can't and I did this all for my son and I'm not real and then the his female friend his coworker that he latches onto she's kind of like my mom pulls that with me all I've sacrificed for you that's not that's not right it's not your son's fault that you stayed at that job don't blame him don't badmouth him like that and I was like good point yeah you have to live your own dang life a little bit sometimes and that was i was a little bit like preach yeah Yeah, that was cool that was a cool message to have you know the movie's really well written yeah it is i I would say also like and i don't want to pay you know we're getting we're getting into like what do we not know and i think i sort of understand both of knowing some a little bit about japanese culture and also other japanese melodramas and i don't want to paint with too broad a brush here so i'll start with paying a broad brush on our culture, which yeah. is that here in America, we like big emotion. Yeah. We kind of do. We want our movies to to kind of have arcs where the big emotion is like all out in the open and, and, and resolved. And like, you know, we, we like to have emotions. We like to talk about our past. You know, yeah. that's a thing in America. And like, I think in Japan and so much of... Japanese melodramas that I've seen, including some like non like big ones, like I saw this lovely little movie about called Sweet Bean, which is about a little like dessert joint, Aww. and uh, and 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 where people have emotions about their family that they can't express. Yeah, you know, and that's a big part of the theme of like Japanese culture. Japanese people are much more bottom buttoned down with their emotions, and like their their sort of social norms don't encourage a lot of expressing emotions. And so a lot of, like, Japanese dramas are about that pain. Yeah. Are about that internal pain of, like, we wish we could express ourselves more, but we, but of course we cannot. Yeah. Oh, you know? man. And yeah. that, even a movie made last year, Drive My Car, is all about that. Right. And I yeah. loved it so much for that excruciating repressed pain on every actor's face in every minute of that movie. It was beautiful to watch. See, this is what Japanese, like, we're into, like, people crying and yelling and, 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 and whatever. And, like, yeah. and, and, but in Japan, people are like, 
repression <laughs> repression of emotions oh you know? yeah. yeah yeah and so that's that's kind of so this movie is very much in that vein and it's correct to describe this movie as a melodrama for sure yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and um or yeah. as i called it throughout the film it's a terrible life it's a terrible yeah. life. <laughs> yeah i mean really because i mean it's a wonderful life is you know made like seven years before this movie mm. you know that's such your classic american drama of what we want out of a movie that is uplifting, right? Yeah. yeah. I kept saying is, while we were watching it that it felt like a Christmas movie to me. And uh, it's because it felt a little bit like It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. yeah it felt and, a little bit like, uh, and of course, they're playing that birthday music yeah. through the orchestrally at one point. And I'm literally like, happy birthday. It was like literally the spirit of birthday is in us all. <laughs> and uh, it just like felt very strange to me. And, uh, yeah, it was weird. I, I I liked that about it. It's cool to it had that sort of vibe, that sort of um, Christmas lesson kind of thing. Like, take a look at your family, take a look at your life, and reassess and have the spirit mm. of Santa Claus but, come to you. Yeah, make a difference. <laughs> make, make a, a difference. difference. Yeah, but also Slog through Japanese hierarchy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, but he but he was in horrible stomach pain the whole time and nothing really good happened except for that park. It was it's a terrible life. Like he didn't go and find that he had had this incredible impact on all these people up until now that he hadn't realized. No, he'd had no impact for 30 years and then he finally decided to have an impact and it was one little park. The end. It's and a terrible life. The end. And then he actually died. Yeah, and then he actually died. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't just pretend like Clarence didn't. There yeah, was no, no Clarence. No angel brought him back to life. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I did not. I'm expect just trying to get to com- my wings. Yeah, <laughs> I did not expect this to be a compare and contrast with its wonderful life. But, <laughs> but it's kind of working. Yeah, I mean, like you know, in a weird way, this is uh, this. Curse was not a Frank uh, Frank Capra director, but I mean, in some ways, this is like a weird inverse Frank Capra movie. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, one of the other just little things before we maybe move on is that I like about the flashbacks is I really appreciate the fact that like even though that when we see him cajoling people, he's not he doesn't suddenly have this big energy that that is out of character for him. He remains like pathetic and 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 kind of begging and like it's this whole thing is going against every instinct he has in his life of being assertive because he's just can't do it and yet he's I like how they show that he's still struggling to be assertive at all, but he's doing it anyway. Yeah. I like those flashbacks and how they portray that. All. And, and it even like how they're like, we still don't get this guy because he kind of was the same, but he also was really but also obsessed that hat. With also that hat. <laughs> he, and again, once again, he uses, uses the power of pity with like the deputy mayor and stuff where yeah. he's like, please, will you build a park? And then he's like, okay, you do look really sad. (laughs) And you also won't go away, which is like uh, against our etiquette here. Yeah. There's also the, one of the scenes that I find unforgettable, like one of the most things I, one of the things I most vividly remember is the, uh, is the gangsters who show up. Yeah. I guess also have to, or have to sign off on whatever to happen. Because they wanted it to be a brothel. They yeah, is that it what it was? Red yeah. Light dis- yeah. District. yeah. And so then, and the guy like grabs him. He's like, and he's got a big excessive scar on that yeah. side of his face. He's like, "Do you value your life?" And and he just Watanabe just smiles. He just smiles at him, and he, which is and it's wonderful because he's like he doesn't answer, but he's like, "Yeah." And I don't. Well, but like also he's like, "I don't," but also 
for the first time I do. He doesn't say anything. Yeah. It's just really well. He's and I'll, like, bro, I'm going to die real quick. Like, <laughs> yeah, go try ahead. Try that line on me. Go yeah. for it, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm going out anyways. Yeah. yeah. So I do want to also make sure I, I say Takeshi Shimura's name. I'm I'm pretty sure close enough pronunci- pronunciation. Takeshi Shimura. Y'all recognized him? Yeah. Which Godzilla movies has he been in? Because uh, several. he was so familiar from... Yeah. yeah, he's uh well, he's Doctor Yamane in the first Godzilla movie, right? Okay, and he's kind of he kind of pops up in other Daigaiju movies throughout. That, but he's best known for being the lead of the the leader of the Seven Samurai. Ah, uh, which can you like picture that's the same guy? Yeah, in some it's way? so difficult because he's like... just he's swaggering. His shoulders are back. The and he's and he's such a presence. Who is this? I, the, I don't... the main character of this movie is, oh. is Takeshi Shimura, okay. who plays Dr. Yamani in, in the first Godzilla movie. He's okay, one of the leads yeah. of the first. And then, of course, he's the leader of the Seven Samurai in Seven Samurai. And he huh. and he's a big, loud, boisterous, assertive guy. And yeah. in general, he's a presence. Every So it's really just, he just delivers an amazing performance. And Kurosawa, like, you know... Obviously, he gets a big, a talented actor, but he just as this constantly poor posture, stooped over, pathetic guy. I mean, it's it's a wonderful performance. Yeah, he's a yeah. good actor. Yeah. And, um, he says so much with his eyes. He says so much with his facial expressions. His little half smiles. His kind of crazed mm-hmm. looks he gets sometimes. The Grim Reaper middle distance stare that he got a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Uh huh. All very powerful. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> Yeah, he played just, drunk yeah. very well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's an un- underappreciated all-time great performance in a movie. Mm. I, that's, yeah. that's that's I guess that's what I'm trying to say. How yeah. long had Kurosawa been making movies at this point? Like, at what point in his career are we seeing is this movie kind of early breakout for him? Early breakout. So because... this is after Rashomon, and that was a huge deal. Right? Yeah, is yes. this his blank check era? Right. Uh, you could say. You could say. <laughs> One could say. Okay. One could say. Because okay, I guess I'll do a quick overview of who Chris, what Kurosawa's deal is. So he like started making he. One thing is Japanese, you, you, not huge surprising, is the film industry is hierarchical. You have to like be an assistant director in the studio system, and then you get promoted to director. Mm. So he kind of got promoted to director during the war. He was too old to be in the war. Mm. So he got to start making movies during the war, and then his career kind of got sidetracked by the end of the war mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then but then like toho got going again and he got start make he started making movies that were successful and then he makes rashomon so that and, was I his mean, first rashomon, movie he, he'd already had a fairly successful career with making movies and then he makes rashomon which is kind of put not only his career but his name but also kind of put japanese cinema on the map but it wasn't his first movie no okay, okay. but that was the that was like the thing that made him go like but that was like a his boom big success critical cons- success and so i think he makes one more movie in between this but this is like the, the two movies after rashomon okay and then um and then and at that point and then and then by the time and then he does 1954 two years from now probably on this podcast is seven samurai which mm-hmm. is his which is his uh big opus. hit which is his magnum opus and then at that point like for basically the next 10 years of his career it's very much a um he got to do what he wanted mm-hmm. and which is a hard thing to do in the japanese studio system but pretty much at the end of those 10 years at some point toho was like 
buddy, you piss us off. We're tightening under the belt anyway, and you do what you want, and you go over budget a lot. And as soon as you start to have a movie that isn't a hit, then then suddenly his career was kind of over. And his last movie is his only color movie, right? And isn't well, it like some couple. insane, like four hour long mess? Oh, well, so then what happens to him is that he kind of like Toho and Japanese film industry says, you're kind of done. Oh, okay. And then, and so I think he makes like Russian co-production. And then finally, like George Lucas made a movie called Star Wars and was <laughs> like, Kurosawa, you're, you're still my master. Like, can I help fund your next movie? Oh. Him and Scorsese help fund, uh, I, I can't say the name of this movie, although I've seen it, uh, Kagamusha. Is this the one I'm talking about? The color Maybe. one? Yeah, it's it's one of them where where it's about the imposter, well the 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 body double for the for the shogun who becomes the shogun kind of. Hmm. And then so that and that put and then he make and then his final big magnum opus is Ron. Hmm. Which is amazing. And um I think he maybe made one or two more movies, but you basically like all the, like, he had to be kind of like all the people who loved and appreciated him, famous people like Scorsese and um, Spielberg and Lucas, who were like, we're going to help you make a movie. Buddy. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the overview of his his career. Um, also, did you notice all the wipes in this movie? Yeah, yeah. there's so yeah. many. They look familiar? Star Wars wipes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what the Star Wars wipes are that continue. Are they in, even in the dreadful Disney movies? I don't, I don't even know. But like uh, the... Uh, the dreadful Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> I put myself out there where I stand. But, um, yeah, yeah, uh, no, they're yeah, boring. It, all, through, all through the Star Wars saga, you get those characteristic Star Wars wipes. They are straight up. Lucas was a fan of Kurosawa and, and like, I'm using those wipes. Because mm. they're very much part of... Kurosawa's style, like even yeah. this movie, which isn't very genre-y at all, yeah. has the cla- has the Kurosawa wipes that yeah, became it does. Star Wars wipes. And I noticed those from the beginning, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's cool. I always love seeing them. Um, so, yeah. Uh, w- w- what else we want to add about this movie? Do you know anything about the reception of this movie when it came out? Like, did people like it? Were they annoyed there were no swashling buckles? No, I think... Because <laughs> one thing, like I said... His most famous movies for us are his swashbucklers. Yeah, okay. But generally, he had a very eclectic, made a lot of different kind of movies. Okay, but is, and, so is this instead a classic, like, beloved, um, uplifting movie in Yeah, Japan? I think so. I mean, I think it's just generally from the Kurosawa can do no wrong era, where okay, everything okay. he made was some variety of a classic. Okay. And, um, although I do think one of the things is that in some ways, like, Kurosawa is in some ways more appreciated on the international stage than he was in Japan. Hmm. I mean, his movies were hits generally, but I think he was criticized for his movies being too Western. Huh. Really? That was a thing that, w- and, 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 and he would some guys go like, what? Cause I like Shakespeare and Dostoevsky and John Ford, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know. So. Yeah. He had the reference to Dante's Inferno. He had the hipster guy speaking Latin in this movie, which I don't know how much of that is, Kurosawa and how much of that is I don't know but anyway he apparently it is true though that he was criticized for like Kurosawa was trying you know his, his movies are too western that hmm. was it that was a criticism levied at him at the time I don't huh. know about this movie in, in particular interesting yeah yeah hmm. so but I, I have a feeling that as as we go forward in this in in, in watching movies through the decades that once we hit the mid the mid century 50s 60s we're going to have a lot of foreign films and probably a lot of kurosawa detours 
because I love Kurosawa and and also like the 50s and 60s in the world of movies like Hollywood is no longer dominating the choices of good movies you can watch yeah like like by by post-war the international film scene was really flourishing and so and Hollywood was just kind of you know there's some good movies but nothing the lot of the best movies from the 50s and 60s are foreign films that's my that's my maybe film bro take so interesting we're, we're gonna i have a feeling this is gonna happen a lot while we when we get in the 50s 60s and even 70s is i'm like let's watch a foreign film yeah but it's very i might have to be restrained from every time we get to a year that has a kurosawa movie <laughs> i might be like we're doing kurosawa <laughs> it's the 50s we're do- so be warned the 50s might be the kurosawa decade yeah sure sure anyway sounds like fun yeah i mean and there'll be some buckles to swash right? yeah 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 i like that idea She's yeah like, i like seven samurai best kitty says <laughs> kitty says <laughs> so uh are we gonna do what else are we consuming i think uh that's all the thoughts i have about yeah yeah i this movie it was kind of slow and you know kurosawa considered a master considered worshipped by great filmmakers like scorsese and colin and <laughs> <laughs> and uh so I was kind of like, oh, wait, he was just a guy that did just make movies. And they're yeah. not all like perfect works of art. Like sometimes yeah. they're tedious and annoying. And sometimes the narrative is frustrating. And sometimes they overexplain stuff. And sometimes there are too many flashbacks. And it was kind of interesting to be reminded of that. Because, yeah, you watch Rashomon and you're just laying in the floor like, what just happened to me? You watch Seven Samurai, same reaction. And so this movie was kind of a more normal, quote unquote, movie in yeah, some ways. Yeah, that made a weird... But interesting and mostly good artistic choice, but said art good, interesting artistic choice undeniably slows the movie it, way the hell yeah. down. It works in places and it doesn't work in places. Yeah. yeah. It's not like a stone cold masterpiece. It's just an interesting movie. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um I've been watching John Waters movies <laughs> <laughs> and I love them. That's something else I've been consuming. Mm. Uh, if we're ready, Colin, did you have another thought? No. Um, it's uh, I like his movies because they're kind of like David Lynch in that they are surreal, but they're based in our reality. You know, they're like Helen was saying before we recorded. Uh, Terry Gilliam is surreal, but it's based in some other world. Yeah. Often, and. Uh, the zero yeah. theorem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some kind of sci-fi. It's some kind of world that they built. But uh, a lot of David Lynch and John Waters is firmly built in our world. It's just everyone is behaving in some kind of way that it makes sense in the mind of the director. You know? <laughs> no one else. You know what? I think the only John Waters movie I've still seen is fucking pink flamingos and pink Fl- i need to see that one again now that i'm watching stuff like hairspray and crybaby because i love those you mm. know they're so funny and so ridiculous and i'm kind of like now that i appreciate these so much i need to go back and watch pink flamingos because i think maybe i was just too young watching pink well flamingos. that's what pink Fl- flamingos is there for it's it's for when you're in college and you're out to see a shock value one of the great shock value gross movies yeah and, and 
there and and it doesn't it does not disappoint in that yeah and i was you know? remember being a little too grossed out maybe and i'm like maybe now that i've you know you understand the vibe i'm a yeah. little bit older and i have a a little bit better understanding of what is actually gross to me <laughs> <laughs> and like, why and why it's gross yeah. to me that maybe i'll just be like this is fun you know i like, mean i generally i generally had a fun time watching it but i was definitely like wow this movie is just out to be kind of a little bit shocking and weird. <laughs> yeah, I'd yeah. like to see everything John Waters has done. A big reason I wanted to return to John Waters recently was I went to Baltimore, which he's mm. he's from Baltimore, and a lot of his movies are built on Baltimore. Mm. And uh, I loved Baltimore. I, I loved it. It was a great town. I went on tour. And with your band. With my band, AM, AM Radio. Radio. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was great, and um, and I particularly liked Baltimore just as a place. The vibe was great, and the vibe kind of made me understand <laughs> John Waters and like it's so it's like fun and it's rough around the edges and it's wild and it's actually kind of sweet, you know. And I just I liked it. I liked I liked it a lot. Cool. That's what I've been consuming lately I'll, I'll go ahead and do an accountability since john mentioned touring i'm i'm just i'm I'm now in like i guess location scouting mode oh for your for, movie for my movie which is always a pain but also uh kind of exciting you get to you know exploring that realm the opportunity of that so i'm working on that now um <clears throat> I haven't done a lot of specific consuming. I did, of course, watch the new Stranger Things season. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't yet. I guess my review, my quick review of the new Stranger Things is it's similar to my review of season three of Stranger Things, which is great stuff. Can we leave these poor kids alone? Yeah. I like these, these kids. These poor children. Can we leave these poor kids alone? <laughs> yeah. They've been through a lot. Yeah. And um, And on that note, like, I can... I kind of have both a lot. I have an admiration for this show because it is this season and the one before really are showing how strained they are to continue the plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see they're having to reach to continue this story, mm. but they succeed anyway because the show knows how to deliver the goods. It knows how to deliver some high points. It knows its characters and its actors and how to, how to you know deliver some money moments mm-hmm. that you know you have to admire a, sh- a show that can that pulls that off you know hats off to it but i'm i'm still a little bit like at some point leave these kids alone also what's her name millie bobby brown or whatever mm-hmm. can she play like a british lady here soon yeah because every time she does the interviews which always are all over the internet when a new stranger thing i'm like wow she's she british well she was enolia enolia yeah i can't pronounce that name enola holmes okay yeah that's british i saw that yeah yeah, yeah she's let this girl this this british girl play a british girl yeah year. i guess it works that she plays 11 because 11's got a weird voice so yeah her, you know <laughs> but still anyway um yeah. that's my review of the new season of stranger things cool mm-hmm uh, what have I been consuming? This past week, I 
decided to make a 2022 playlist, so I was just gonna, though there can't be that many new albums that dropped this year by artists I like, I'll just listen, you know, it's July, I'll listen to what's new and I'll pull some best tracks and it'll be, you know, a nice little playlist to kind of sum up the year. And then like five solid days of listening to new music later, I have a 50 song playlist. So there's a lot of good music that hit this year that I discovered and I'm really excited about it. And now it's not even over. So I'm going to be refreshing my music app, seeing what else is coming out for the rest of the year. And this playlist is probably going to be a two or a three parter. Um, I guess all the bored musicians throughout the pandemic are coughing up everything they'd been working on while they were in quarantine. And it's just flowing and it's exciting and I'm enjoying it. Uh, and accountability, I have something to say. I have been poached onto another podcast. She has. I am, from stammering out Anthony Renteria's name on the pig episode of this show, we have become, from then to now, I have become a co-host of Cineverm. So not just plugging it because it's a thing I'm consuming, now I am on it. And it's super fun. And you should listen to my episodes. There are six out right now. Is there only six? At this point, there's more episodes of you on that show than there are of movies for decades. (laughs) (laughs) No, there are six episodes of me on that show. Yeah. And I've had a great time, and they're super cool. Both this, yes, the elusive uh, last nameless David and Anthony good guys to talk to about movies and you should listen to me um being the peanut gallery on that show which i kind of feel like is my role <laughs> where i'm like i'm not a filmmaker guys that part was funny yeah but, i don't i don't think that's your energy okay you don't think so okay <laughs> no. i feel a little bit insecure like what am i doing on my own two film podcasts and i'm not even a film person what am i doing it's if, scary if you've heard any podcasts at all i feel like you should know that there are no qualifications for having a movie podcast. <laughs> yeah. You just, you know, get to talk. I saw a movie one time, you know, yeah. sick. Yeah. Like, so here's a thought I want to float out there is that like, we have no clue. Speaking of modern things from 2022, we don't know what our 2022 movie is yet. No, we don't. Oh. So there's something to start thinking about. And I think I do have maybe a nominee just because I think it's the movie that, you know, has already is un- talked about and unpacked a lot and it's a candidate which is everything everywhere all at once oh, oh that's yeah a that's movie. a great one so that's a candidate just because there's a lot to unpack there yeah and you know and there's some potential takes and we've all seen it and have i loved it. About it yeah and and by the end of the year i'm gonna want to watch it again probably to see how i feel one so of the so 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 at us if you're listening <laughs> or whatever say like no yes do that or no do this movie because we're open to suggestions We're open yeah. to, if there's a new movie you like that you want to hear us yak about and you're hearing and and your opinion matters if you're listening to me say these words yeah, yeah. so <laughs> floating that out there cool yep well we get, right, we will return we in the 60s i have no specific 1962 plug. 60 right we're having we're having a guest so we're having a guest so there's our case. Oh my goodness. Is the music playing? What's happening? Let's roll the music. Yeah. It's happening. Bye bye. Bye. Everybody.